You're listening to a podcast from the Lakes Church in Cairns, Australia. Well, that's very kind of you. Um, I'm not sure I deserve that. Um, and now, and now the pressure's on to try and live up to that. Uh, just before I do, I'd just love to um, recommend a, a book to you. Um, and uh, um, it's, um, it's called What About? And it's by Jeff and Laura. And uh, no, literally, I just, I've just been having a look at it. It's absolutely, there's some wonderful stuff in there. Really wonderful stuff. Clearly, Laura wrote most of the book. Um, and um, um, yeah, just I just I can't wait to read the rest of it. Some, and, and some of this is going to when I get back to England, it's going to become an original Pilavachi, <laughs> which is how I rock and roll. Really, um, everything is stolen. Um, but seeing as nothing's copyright in the kingdom, I I think that's okay. Well, it's, uh, it really is great to be with you. Oh, we've loved it. And uh, it's, this is a wonderful, wonderful fellowship. I, I could tell that the first night. And um, uh, just, just a privilege uh, to be with you. Um, I'm going to uh, kind of launch straight in now, having not launched straight in, uh, and just talk about a, a subject that I think um, is a key ingredient if we want to see two things happen. One, uh, greater intimacy between us and the Lord. Uh, all those of us who are followers of Jesus, we, we long to be closer to him. We long to be aware of his presence and we long uh, to walk with him in deeper devotion and friend fellowship. And then the second thing is, uh, if we want to see more of the miraculous, more of God's intervention in our lives and in the lives of others. Uh, um, I'm, uh, I've been doing youth work all my life. Um, I'm the oldest youth worker in the world. Uh, I've been doing youth work since the days of Noah. And uh, what I've noticed um, over the years is there are so many in this generation who are hurting. There are so many who are struggling. There are so many who, who there's just issues and, and, and they can't be solved with a quick word. They can't be solved. And, and, and I'll, I've been longing uh, to, to see uh, Jesus, our Lord, really meet with folk and set them free. And, and they're, they're a broken generation. And I, I can relate to them because I'm a broken person as well. Uh, if the truth be known, we're all broken um, in some way. And uh, uh, this subject is, I think, a key thing that we don't talk much about. And uh, in order to introduce it, I want to look at Jesus' first ever miracle. And um, I love it. Although it puzzled me at the beginning that Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine by the litre, a wedding party. It used to puzzle me because I thought, Jesus, what a strange way to start your ministry. Uh, did you not have a public relations consultant who could advise you? If I was you, uh, my first miracle would have been to raise someone from the dead, make a statement at the beginning or feed 5,000 people with a little with with a little boy's picnic I mean that you can get a whole sermon series out of that but at the first look it looks like he, he just he he turned water into wine to sort out a social faux pas at a wedding reception and the impression you get is he only did it because his mum had a go at him so I just want to read the first few verses of John chapter 2 on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. 
Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, isn't that typical of a mum? Isn't that exactly what mums do? They don't, have you noticed, they don't tell you what they want, do they? They don't say, oh, there's a lot of shopping in the car. They say, no, they don't say, can you bring the shopping in from the car? I got that the wrong way around. They say, oh, there's a lot of shopping in the car. They don't say, can you wash the dishes? They say, oh, there's a lot of dishes that need washing. And Jesus' mum was no different. She said to her, Jesus, they've run out of wine. And Jesus responded like any normal teenager. What's that got to do with me? In fact, what he said was, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Now, I first read this uh, when I became a Christian when I was 15 years old. And, and I, I, I read what Jesus said. Uh, my hour has not yet come. And I thought, that is a good line. I'm going to use that. So the next time my mum said to me, Michael, I want you to tidy your room. I looked her in the eye. And I said with anointing, Mum, my hour has not yet come. It didn't work out for me. But anyway, Jesus said that. Listen to what Mary says next. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. And that is the title of this morning's talk. Do whatever he tells you. Listen to Mary when she says, do whatever he tells you. And uh, I believe obedience is the missing ingredient uh, for many of us. Um, I'm sorry, what, why have you got that camera? Well, let's do it then. No, 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 no. Can you come that side? No, it's my better side there. Ready? Ready? Now. Okay. Those things are important. It's... <clears throat> so I think the secret is obedience. And uh, the, um, the, dis- uh, the, the servants had a chance to put this into practice straight away. You know, I for years what I thought obedience was, was I will obey you, Jesus, if I understand what you're saying. If I agree with what you're saying. If what you're saying seems to make sense. If what you're saying isn't too risky for me. That is not obedience. That is happening to agree with Jesus. Obedience is doing what he says when it doesn't make complete sense, when we don't understand the whole picture, when it does seem too risky, when we do seem out of our depth. And straight away, the servants had a chance to put this into practice. After Mary said to them, do whatever he tells you, Jesus says to them, now you see these six stone water jars, I want you to fill them to the top with water. If I was one of the servants at that point, 
I would have gone up to Jesus and I would have said, would have said excuse me, Mr. Christ, but I was listening to what your mum said to you and she told you they've run out of wine. What we have is a wine deficit, not a water shortage. We don't need any more water. We don't need any more San Pellegrino. What we need is Chateau Neuf de Pape. And if I had said that to Jesus, I think Jesus would have said to me, excuse me, Pilavachi, but you weren't listening to what my mum said to you. She said, do whatever I tell you. And the servants, even though they didn't understand why, they didn't see the full picture. They were obedient and they filled those, uh, those tanks, those jars with water. And then it gets worse or better. Jesus says to them, I want one of you to take a cup, fill it with this dirty water and take it to the master of ceremonies to drink. Can you imagine the servants? We're only slaves. We're going to get killed. I mean, can you imagine if we take this? He'll think it's wine. He'll drink it. He'll go, eh, and then we've had it. Who's going to take it? I'm not taking it. I'm not taking it. And I think the youngest one got was it. (laughs) And I think in fear and trembling, he took the cup full of dirty water to the master of ceremonies. And I suspect all the others were hiding under a table. He's going, he's going, oh no, oh no, here we go, here we go. It's going to be a disaster. And he gives the cup. The master of ceremonies. I just imagine it was like this. Stop. Oh no, everyone, duck. I think the guy that was gave him was like, this is it, this is the, the end of me. And then the master of ceremonies says to the bridegroom, you have left the Chateau Neuf de Pape to the end. This is amazing. Yes, undertones of blackberry and licorice. This is amazing. This is amazing. You know, after I said this at the first service, I met a guy came up to me who's a sommelier. And he, they, well, they, 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 they're experts in wine. And, and he knows Chateau Neuf de Pape. <laughs> anyway, I was, I'm, I'm, I'd love to have got to know him, really. <laughs> but there we are. And, 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 and he said that. And then the servants would have been thinking... But it's dirty water. We know it's dirty water. And, and everyone started drinking it. And they were all saying, oh, this is wonderful wine. Huh? Huh? You know, we saw it. It was dirty water that went in there. And, and I think they'd be looking at each other. Now, don't you often wish that the book was a DVD? I wish all the time I, the book was a DVD. And, but, and I imagine this, and I'm pretty sure I'm right. I suspect, don't you... That as they were like this, and it, and it says in, in this passage, it says, but the servants knew. The servants knew the truth. The servants knew what, what was put in that cup. Don't you just know in your spirit that at some point, as all the guests were going crazy about the wine, Jesus looked over at the servants and went, <laughs> don't you just know that? At that place of obedience, they were in on the secret with Jesus. There was an intimacy between them and Jesus. And at that place of obedience, they saw a miracle happen. They were the only ones who really understood that it was a complete miracle. I just want to look at one other passage. 
I could look at so many. One other that illustrates this. And this is um, from Matthew 14. And I love this story. It's just after Jesus fed 5,000 people with a little boy's picnic. Which, I, I, in my humble opinion, is the greatest miracle Jesus ever did. Um, not just because it involved food in vast quantities. Well, um, but then straight after that, uh, it's the story of how Jesus walked on water. And we read this in verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. And I have read this story maybe hundreds of times in my life. And do you know, you know sometimes you read a passage of scripture and you've read it many times and then you read it one more and you see something you never saw before and you think, how did I miss that? Do you know, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit shines a light on the word and it's like, how did I miss that? Well, I've had a few moments of that with this passage. And a few years ago, I read it again and it suddenly hit me. It says, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. You know, in the original Greek, that phrase made the disciples get into the boat. It's a strong phrase. It wasn't a mild suggestion. He didn't gently invite the disciples. It happened something like this. Hey, boys, I want you to get into the boat. And overnight, I want you to row to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, I just got a few things to finish off here. And then I'll I'll join you the other side in the morning. Oh, how are you going to get over there, Lord? Um, don't worry, I've got my own transport sorted. Uh, but if you go, um, excuse me, Jesus, but the boys and I, we've been on the internet and we've looked at the weather forecast and it's pretty bad for Sea of Galilee overnight. Um, it's going to be big storms. And uh, remember, some of us are professional fishermen and this is where we do our job. And Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night, we don't have satellite navigation technology yet. You know, we could be in trouble. So if it's all the same to you, uh, we'll stay here and we'll go over with you in the morning. Get in the boat. He made them get in the boat. Sometimes Jesus deliberately sends us into storms. Why does he do that? Is it because he hates us? No. It's because he loves us and because he knows that so often it's in the middle of the storms of life that we meet him at a deeper level, that we come to a greater intimacy with him. And it's often in the middle of the storms that we see the miracles happen because in those storms we're out of our depth and we can't rely on ourselves so we have to rely on him. And this is what happened. Sure enough, they're rowing across. In the middle of the night, there was a huge storm came up. And uh, they were frightened in the storm. And this is what we read. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Do you have any idea how many times the disciples didn't recognize Jesus when he came to them? It's hilarious, especially after the resurrection. After the resurrection, they didn't recognize Jesus so many times because they were filled with disappointment. When we're full of disappointment, so often we don't recognize Jesus when he comes to us. In this occasion, it was because they were filled with fear. Fear is the other thing that stops us recognizing Jesus. And sometimes when he comes to us, in our fear, we mistake him for a ghost. This is what they did. So what does Jesus do? He speaks to them. But Jesus immediately said to them, 
Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now there are three phrases there. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And the two phrases on either side, take courage and don't be afraid, they're quite similar. It's the phrase in the middle that makes all the difference. It's the, it's the jam and the peanut butter in the sandwich. You can take courage and not be afraid because it is I. Now, I need to tell you here, this is a little bit extra for free. Um, the first service didn't get this, but I can see that you're on a whole different level uh, to the first. I mean, you are the, the, the elite, the intellectual elite of this church. Um, I can, could tell straight away. Um, I, I, I'm not a theologian. I'm just a youth worker. Uh, I've never really studied theology, and, and I wouldn't know New Testament Greek if it hit me in the face. But I am. Greek. And as a Greek, I know that that phrase, it is I, in the original Greek, it's ero ime. And ero ime, um, uh, ero, come, uh, you, our word ego comes from that. And, um, and if you were to translate it literally, ero ime, if you were to translate it absolutely literally, it would be something like ero, it's me. And ime, it's me. And so another way of translating this, if you wanted to be absolutely literalist, is um, take courage, it's me, it's me, don't be afraid. But of course the translators wouldn't translate it like that because it's awkward and it doesn't make sense. So they translate it in some in different ways. And in John's Gospel, and I love this, you know in John's Gospel, there are seven um, signs that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ. The, 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 um, the wedding feast at Cana is the first one. Then there are seven I am sayings of Jesus. Um, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine, uh, I am the good shepherd, and I am the gate for the sheep. There are seven times <clears throat> he says, I am. But here's something that I, I didn't discover, know for ages. Do you know there are seven other times in the Greek version of John's Gospel where Jesus says, Ero ime, and it's translated in different ways to make sense. The first time is when Jesus is, um, is with a Samaritan woman at the well, and she says to him, when the Messiah comes, and in the NIV translation, it's translated awkwardly, when the Messiah comes, he will tell us where to worship. And then Jesus is reported as saying, um, uh, he who is speaking to you, I am he. And again, in the, in the original Greek, it is, ero ime. It's me, it's me. And there are six other times. And do you know the best one? I love this. At the end, right at the end, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, the soldiers come to arrest him. And do you remember in John's Gospel, Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And then he says, I am he. And do you remember, they all fall down and pass out. And I imagine Jesus is like, oh dear, the poor little soldiers. They've all fainted. Guys, let's help them up. Come on, little chaps. Come on, up you get, up you get. Are you okay? You okay? Now, let's try that again. Now, hold on to each other. Are you holding steadily? Are you ready? I'm going to say my bit again. Who are you looking for? Hold on to each other now. Jesus of Nazareth, are you ready for this? 
I am he. Hold on tight. Do you know what he said? Ero ime. That's why they fell down. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, when Moses meets the Lord at the burning bush, and Moses says, who shall I say you are? What is your name? The Lord says, I am who I am. Tell them I am have sent you. In the Greek translation, it is ero ime. Take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. We can take courage because in the midst of the storms of life, the great I am is with us. That's why. That's the only reason why we don't need to be afraid. And I say this in all humility. I think there are some similarities between my good self and the Apostle Peter. Don't worry, I don't think I'm rocky. I don't think the church is built on me. I'm not a megalomaniac. I think in this area and this area alone, alone, I think like Peter, we both open our mouths before our, uh, we both, uh, um, open our mouths before our brains are in gear. And, uh, Peter does this at this point as well. So, so, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And before he can stop himself, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, Tell me to come to you on the water. And I just imagine it was like this. Ah, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. (laughs) Only, And before he could say, only joking, (laughs) Jesus says, come on then. And I imagine the other disciples saying to Peter, off you go, mate. You opened your mouth. You did it again. Let's see you. You said it. You can't take it back. And Peter gets out of the boat and listen to what happens next. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I love that story, but do you know, I have read that story for years, I think the wrong way. For years, I've read it as Peter's great failure. I've actually preached on it as Peter's great failure. And and I've read it like this. This is how I've read it. Uh, Jesus uh, says to Peter, "Come, come out onto the water. Peter gets out of the boat. He starts walking towards Jesus, but he sees the big waves, the effect of the wind. He gets afraid. He takes his eyes off Jesus, and he starts to sink. He's drowning, and he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus looks at Pete, and he thinks, oh, no, Pete's drowning. What am I going to do? I can't let him drown. I need him for the acts of the apostles. And then Jesus dives into the water, does the front crawl through the waves towards Peter, uses a life-saving technique um, that he learned when he was a teenager at Nazareth Swimming Pool. And he, he, and, he, and he shouts to the disciples in the boat, quick, get the rubber ring, throw the ropes, help me save Pete's life. I need him for the acts of the apostles. And eventually they call him into the boat and Pete's, and then Jesus gets on top, gets into the boat soaking wet. He gets on top of Peter and he gives him mouth to mouth resuscitation. 
And as Pete's spluttering back to life, Jesus has got his knee on Pete's chest and he says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? That's how I've read it for years. For years I've read it as Peter's great failure. How did I do that? That's not what it says. That's not what it says. Listen to what it says. Jesus says to Peter, come with me on the water. Peter comes. He starts to walk and then he does. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He starts being afraid. He looks at the waves and the effect of the wind. He starts to sink. As he's starting to sink, the first thing he does, immediately he says, Jesus save me. Now, if I was Peter and I was starting to drown, the first thing I would have tried to do would have been to save myself. If that didn't work, I would have called on my friends to save me. After that, I would have called the Coast Guard. And then as a last resort, I might have turned to prayer. Do you know what the first thing Pete says is, Jesus, save me. And then, did you hear what happened next? It says, Jesus reached out his hand and caught Peter. The strong implication is this. Jesus didn't dive into the water and swim towards Peter. He, he caught Peter by the hand and he lifted him up. And Jesus and Peter walked back to the boat on the water together, holding hands. Hand in hand, they walked back to the boat together. That was not Peter's greatest failure. I want to suggest to you it was Peter's greatest success. It was his moment of the greatest intimacy intimacy with Jesus at the place of the storm of the of the of the issue. He ended up holding hands with Jesus. He was closer to Jesus than ever, and it was the place of Peter's greatest miracle. He got to walk on the water in the middle of the storm. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? And and I imagine that Peter lived off this story for the rest of his life. I mean, in years to come, at, at church planting parties, or if you're an Anglican cocktail parties, you know, somebody would have asked... Somebody would have asked um, uh, Peter, oh, Peter, tell us you're walking on the water with Jesus story. Tell us about that. And I imagine Peter saying, oh, no, not again. Oh, I've told this story so many times. I just don't have the energy. Oh, all right, I suppose I'll tell you again. Gather round, everyone. Gather round. I'm, ab- I'm about to tell you my walking on the water with Jesus story. Are you ready? Well, I mean, let me tell you, we were on the boat going across the Sea of Galilee. It was a terrible storm. The boys were pretty frightened, I can tell you. They were really scared. Uh, and then just before dawn, Jesus came up to us. He was walking on the through the waves. He was walking. And, and bless them, the other lads, they thought he was a ghost. They were frightened. And, and, and then, and then uh, I said, oh, Jesus, it's you. W- would you like me to join you? Would you like me to go for a stroll with, with you uh, on the Sea of Galilee? And, and Jesus said, come join me, my friend. And, and I got out of the boat and um, I started walking towards Jesus. Now, the next bit is a little bit hazy. I can't remember the details. 
but basically, to cut a long story short, uh, the Lord Jesus and I, we, we took a stroll in the middle of a terrible storm on the Sea of Galilee. And did I mention to you we were holding hands? Yes, the Lord and I, we were just there holding hands, walking along through the waves together. It was really quite pleasant. What was it like? Well, I don't know how to describe it. What was it like? I mean, I mean, I mean, the only two people who have ever walked on water in human history are, um, are Jesus and myself, and Jesus has just gone up to heaven. So I suppose I'm the only one left on earth to describe what it's like to walk on the water. Well, it was liquid, it was very liquidy, but it was kind of solid as well. It was gently bouncy, 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 and uh, and Jesus and I, did I mention we were walking across the waves and we were holding hands, did I say that? And, and honestly, to to this very day, I can't be absolutely certain whether whether he was holding me up or I was holding him up. I mean, we were just there together. Do you know how I know he would have said that? Because I would have said that if I was him. That's exactly what I would have said. And then I suspect Peter then said, um, uh, Andrew, James, John, is, is there anything you want to add to the story? Oh no, sorry, I forgot. You never got out of the boat, did you? It was only me who got out of the boat and walked on water with Jesus. You see, it was his great success. It was his moment. Did he feel like he was drowning? Absolutely. Was it scary? You betcha. Just like it was for the servants. But at the place of obedience... In the midst of all that stuff, he had the greatest intimacy with Jesus, and there came a moment of miracle. That's how it works. And and do you know the other bit on this story? Um, do you think it's possible if if Jesus is holding Peter's hand, walking on the water, if as he's holding Pete's hand, do you think it's possible he actually said it like this? You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Have you noticed how we always give God an angry voice when we read scripture? I suspect he said it more like this. Oh, Pete, hold my hand, you faithless one. Did you really think I was going to let you drown? Did you really think, I was, you silly sausage, did you really think I was going to let you? I wasn't going to let you drown. Trust me, Pete, trust me. I think that was more the tone. It has to be. It has to be. In England, there's this book that's been doing the rounds for years in the church, and I think you've had it in Australia, called The Five Love Languages. You know, and, and, it, and the, basically the book says we all operate in one or two of five love languages, and, and for some of us, the, our love language is touch, physical affection. For some of us, it's, um, it's gifts. For others of us, it's acts of service. For others, obviously, it's, it, obviously it's words of affirmation. And for others, it's quality time. And, and, and we all operate in one or two or three of those love languages. Well, when I first read that book, I, I, was, I, I got frightened. I was like, oh, no. I thought, none of those are me. I don't have any of these five love languages. And I panicked. And I thought, what's wrong with me? I have a sixth love language that's not in the book. My love language is food. <laughs> Tell me you love me, it means nothing to me. 
go stick your love somewhere else. I don't want it. But buy me a chicken shish kebab. And I'm yours for life. Did you know, did you know that God has a love language? His love language is obedience. The reason I know that is because he said so. In John 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Another place in John 15, he says, You're my friends if you do what I command you. If we want to come to intimacy with Jesus, obedience. Obedience is the highest form of worship. I love singing in worship. It's biblical, it's right. But the highest form of worship is obedience. And it's in that place that we see heaven break through to earth. I want to finish um, uh, with just a, a couple of stories of how it works out in my life. Or how it doesn't. Um, well, no, how it, how it, how it, I hope it does. And this won't be the same as for you, but I want to say in a way that explains what it's really like and not, and not how we kind of sometimes super spiritualize these things. Uh, a while ago, uh, I, I felt the Lord say to me, Mike, I want you, when I speak to you, I want you to do and to say everything that I tell you to do and to say. And I was a little bit put out. And I was like, well, I thought I did, Lord. And he said, no, you don't. You put it through the grid of your brain and you censor me. And if it makes sense and if you think it's okay and if it's not too risky, you will do and say it. But otherwise, you will, you will ignore it. And I felt really challenged and, and, um, and I, I just sensed the Lord saying, if you longed for greater intimacy with me, if you longed to see me at work, if you longed to see people set free in greater measure, you, you need to obey. And I'm 60 now. I, I know that's, I know what many of you are thinking. No, he's not. Don't be ridiculous. I know what you're thinking because everyone thinks that. And, and you're wondering, how, how can I look like I do at 60? I don't know. It's, it, it's a miracle. It's, and it's not something, I can't take credit because it's not something I did. It's just the way I was made. And it's just all natural with a little bit of oil of ule. And, and, and you know, you know, this hair, it's, this hair is my natural color. At 60, it's my natural color with just a tiny bit of help from Just For Men. Just very tiny, very tiny, just, just very tiny bit of help. But at, the, at my age of 60, I, I know I don't have as long left as I did. And I've, all my life I've longed to see Jesus do the things that I read in Scripture. Not, not to have a thrill or to have fun because I long to see people set free. All my life I've longed to, to go on an adventure with him and to walk closely with him. So I, I said, okay, I'll do it, Lord. And the thing I realized is, is you will say yes to that when uh, your longing to see God at work becomes greater than your fear of failure. 
And I spent too much time fearing failure. And so I wouldn't take risks. I would never get out of the boat in case I sank. And I don't mind any. I, you know, I, I've, I've had so much failure in my life. You know, you, it doesn't kill you. You know, it doesn't faze me anymore. And I just want to tell you a couple of stories. There's so many I could say. But I just want to tell you a couple of stories of how it works out for me. And it will work out differently to you because this is my job. You do something else. And I remember after, soon after I made this agreement with the Lord, I was speaking in a meeting. There were about 400 people there. And uh, uh, as we finished speaking, I sensed the Lord say to me, and it was just a gentle, you know, it was, it was like I had a thought that wasn't my thought. That's how it works with me. It's not, it's not, and I, I never know if it's the Lord. The question I always ask is, is that you, Lord, or is it indigestion? And obviously, in my case, quite often, it's indigestion. But, but I decided, just in case it's Jesus, I'll say it. Just in case it's Jesus. Because if it's not Jesus, nobody dies. If it's not Jesus, if I say it humbly, no one gets hurt in the process. But if it is Jesus, someone's life could be changed. And just in case. So I started doing it. And I've been amazed. I've been amazed. And I I need to say this to you. And I mean this. I am so not spiritual. I am so not holy. I'm a big fat hairy Greek. You know, I just wander around thinking of food, you know, but what I've discovered is he can, he can use me and he can use you in our weakness. His power is made perfect in weakness. And I've said to him, well, you said it, Lord, you said it in your word, and I'm going to offer you lots of opportunities to prove it because here is weakness in person. Perfect your power in my weakness. There was this one time, there were about 400 people there. And I felt the Lord say to me, um, there's someone here who um, gets a fuzzy head on the left-hand side and numbness. And they've been having it for years. And uh, they've got it at the moment and it comes and goes. And immediately I put it through the grill of my brain. uh, The grid of my brain. I thought, migraine. 400 people here. Odds of someone here having a migraine, 50%. I've got a 50% chance of getting it right. I like the odds. I'll go for it. I'm just being honest with you. But the Lord knows me. He knows what I'm like. So do you know what he did? He waited until I said all that. And then he slipped into my mind the last bit. And it was before I could stop myself. I said the last bit. And I said, and it's got something to do with your sister immediately i thought you stupid idiot what did you say that you had a 50 percent chance of getting it right you had a 50 percent chance of looking good and now how can how can someone be getting a fuzzy head and migraine uh, pain and it's got something to do with their sister i mean does their sister hit them over the head with a frying pan you idiot you've just ruined it and as i was saying that to myself i turned around and standing there was this young lady quietly weeping and i looked at her and i said what are you doing there it's the truth. It's the truth. And, and, she sa- and she said, it's me. It's me. And I was like, huh? And I said, has it got something to do with your sister? And she said, yes. And she said, it's not a migraine. She said, I was an emergency birth. I nearly died in the womb. And they got me out just in time. But when they got me out, I wasn't breathing. 
And uh, it took them a few moments to get me to breathe. And in those moments, I got a bit of brain damage. And one of the main ways it manifests itself um, is I get a fuzzy head, usually on the left-hand side, and a numbness, and it comes and goes. And then she said, but the thing is, my twin sister didn't make it. She died in the womb. And then she said, for the 27 years of my life, I have felt guilty that the wrong sister lived. I have felt I should have died so she should have lived and that I robbed my twin of her life. And then she started sobbing. We had to stop the meeting and we prayed for her that Jesus would set her free from 27 years of false guilt. I came that close to not saying it. I came that close. Did I feel like I was drowning? You bet I did. Did I need to say, Lord, save me? Absolutely. He took my hand. He took my hand. There was another time. There was another time. Um, uh, it, the, it was at our festival in our camp in England. There were 8,000 young people in that big tent. Uh, and... Uh, um, uh, the night before, about 200 came forward to become Christians for the first time. And we were rejoicing that there were 200 new Christians. And then the next night, I was down to speak. And at the end of the worship, as I got up, getting ready to speak, I felt the Lord say to me, there is someone here who, um, uh, who said to his, their friend um, this morning, um, if they make an invitation tonight for people to go forward to become Christians, I think I might well go forward. And then I felt the Lord say to me, and his name is Sam. And I said to the Lord, um, okay, well, I won't do that now. I'll, I'll say that, I'll preach, then at the end, before we pray for people, uh, for other things, I'll say, if anyone didn't become a Christian last night and you feel, well, you're ready tonight, why don't you come forward? And there might be someone here called Sam. You said to your friend this morning, if they make an invitation, I might go forward, or why don't you come as well? And then the Lord said to me, no, I want you to do it now. And I told the Lord all the reasons why that wasn't a good idea. How I'm still alive, I do not know. But, I mean, literally, but I... I said, to, I said to Lord, Lord, there's some things I think you haven't thought of this time. First of all, what if I've got it wrong? What if there's no Sam? What if there's no Sam that said to his friend this morning, how am I going to then transition to preaching? How am I going to then transition uh, after that? And secondly, and here's the main point, what if there is a Sam? And what if as a non-Christian, he doesn't want to come forward on his own in front of 8,000 people? I mean, that's quite intimidating. Now, you didn't think of that, did you? (laughs) But you know what? I knew that I'd made a promise. And I actually tried to start speaking, but my mind was muddled because I just felt bad. And in the end, it was like, just do it. And I said, forgive me, everyone. This may be wrong, but I think there's someone here. You said this morning to your friend, they make an invitation for people to come forward to become Christians, I might go forward. And your name is Sam. Where are you, Sam? We're going to wait for you. Now's your time. Come forward now. And then I died. And then life drained out of me. No one moved. 8,000 pairs of eyes stared at me. 
And I was like, I knew this was a mistake. You idiot. You idiot. What are you going to do? This is humiliating. How are you, how are you going to preach now? What, how are you going to get out of this? And no one moved. And then after a while, this kid got up. And he started to walk. And everyone around started clapping. And I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You've saved me. I'll never do this again. And he took... <laughs> And this kid took ten paces and then sat down next to a girl he obviously fancied. (laughs) And I wanted to kill him. And I was there. And I was dying. And I said, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. Lord, save me. Do something. Save me. And then after too long, this kid got up. He walked down the aisle slowly. And he stopped about there. And when he got close, I saw he was shaking. He was trembling. And I said to him, are you Sam? He said, yes. I said, did you say that to your friend this morning? He said, yes. Are you ready to give your life to Jesus? He nodded. In front of 8,000 people, we led him in a prayer of commitment to the Lord Jesus. And after he prayed, he went back. And I saw his friend ran to him. And the two of them were hugging each other and crying. And the next day, they told me that um, he hadn't been a Christian. His be- it was his best friend that had been praying for him all year, invited him to come. At the last minute, he said yes. And Sam was really depressed. He was, he was taking drugs. He was into all sorts of stuff that wasn't good for him. And he, that night, he gave his life to Jesus. And I've met them since. I met his friend just three months ago at something. And my question was to the Lord, Lord, why, why, why couldn't he have waited to the end? Why did it have to be so theatrical? Why did you have to do it then? I mean, you know, you know I've got a heart condition. Why did you do that to me? <laughs> and you know, the Lord answered me. When Sam said, Amen spontaneously 8,000 young people stood and clapped and cheered the Lord and Sam and the Lord said to me that's why because you were all rejoicing that last night 200 came to know me and I wanted to show you that I will stop a whole meeting for one Sam for one Sam because I love the world one human being at a time Do you know that's a lesson we will never, ever forget? I could tell you so many stories like that, but time is running out, and it's much more important that we ask Jesus to do whatever he wants this morning. Now, I've no idea what he wants to do. I really haven't. But you know what? I'm okay with that. Because the way it works is, if he does more... Then we have lunch a bit later. If he does less, we got time even for some ice cream first. (laughs) You see, what I'm saying is the pay's the same. You know, it's, it's, it's not, you don't hype the Holy Spirit up, he comes down. And so all our job is to be obedient and to make space for him. And then it's up to him. It's up to him. And so the pressure's off. But we're just going to wait for a bit. Is that all right? Just for a little while. And Father, in the name of Jesus now, I ask that you send your Holy Spirit.
Lord, just come and meet with us. Lord, by your spirit, come and fill us. Come and anoint your church. Give us all that we need to meet with you in a deeper way. To come to a place of intimacy in your presence. And Lord, we long to see you move in in the power of your love in ways that set people free. Come, Holy Spirit. We wait for you now. Now, just for a few moments, just wait. No one needs to do anything. Just be still.